Hey boomers, welcome once again to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your Sega-sational guide to the world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic. I, as always, once again, am Chris McFeely. And I am Dave Bulmer, with a cold and therefore far less giggly than usual. And so joining us to kind of help to compensate for that is... Me! A bee! <laughs> Abby's in... <laughs> I'm going to make up <laughs> for the giggling. I'm much more chipper mood than I am. <laughs> Abby is the Hume who thinks she's in charge of Dave today. That's <laughs> absolutely, she, she 100% is. Uh, Abby is our resident also Sonic fan, brought the comics up for us from her parents' house. Also a 2080 art droid and storyboard and artist for animation these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, it's still very new. Yeah, still since, very last, new. since last you heard from her boomers, uh, Abby is changed her vocation <laughs> yes so she knows all about drawings and that's what this is oh. drawings <laughs> drawings though the cover of this issue issue number 14 november mm. the 27th is not much of a drawing is it it's a proper cop out is what it is it's a bit of a cop out but <laughs> it, it's kind of for a reason yeah it's a sort of yellow vortex and aside from telling us that echo the dolphin is visiting jurassic beach this issue this yeah, entire very much jumping on the big old dinosaur zeitgeist of the day because this yeah. is 1993 besides that the whole cover is dedicated to our fab free festive gift as it mm. proclaims across the top the sonic Xmas Deco. And I'm saying Xmas because it says Xmas, you understand. Put a superstar on your Christmas tree. Now, Dave, you were able to recover this from your box of goodies, weren't you? Since last we recorded, I have been round my parents' house and I have got my Sonic box, which is a big wooden box built by me when I was 12 years old and big enough for me at 12 to get in and close the lid. It contains all of my STCs, plus lots of other bits of merchandise. And this fortnight, I have the comic with the free gift still sellotape to the front. Mint condition. (laughs) And this is why I wanted you to describe the cover first, because... The cover is just a drawing of what this decoration is. Yes. And the decoration is literally exactly what's the, the... It's the cover, but it's just a piece of flat cardboard of that same drawing cut out and put in a little plastic bag and sellotaped and just to the front. And that's over the top. all it is. And of course, my copy, uh, not being my original copy, I went out and got copies from online, from eBay. The poor bugger who owned this didn't remove it very well. So oh, sadly, dear. I do have the curse of childhood, the uh, the sellotape comic cover tear. Uh, Abby's copy is quite good. There's a, there's a bit of a, bit of a, a, a yeah, frosting Yeah, but my there. damage is on the wrong bit. It's on the wrong uh, bit? No, it's Clearly. not. Look, it's oh. because the sellotape they used was really oh, yeah. long. It went yeah. all the way. No, no, it's no. Liter- I... Oh, yeah. It doesn't have, like, a gummy bit on the back of the plastic bag that it Yeah, in. not like... I mean, <laughs> I feel like we saw that become the standard over, yeah. over our time. We saw the shift from actual yeah. pieces of bloody sellotape to, yes. to the little gummy things they use. Now, here we have a small folded over bit of tatty plastic bag with a piece of cardboard in it with a drawing of Sonic on it. He's got a crown on with a bit of holly drawn on that. He's holding a Christmas pud in one hand. It's that pose of him with his finger yeah. out and he's got a stocking hooked on that. It's that vector <laughs> art piece that they've just it like is. minutely edited by pasting Christmas artifacts and slightly moving his right arm. It's Sonic Stocker, isn't it? It's Sonic Stocker. Slightly edited. They've drawn this... Christmas pud holding hand on it. Yeah. Um, Because the hand itself is new. Um, The only other thing that, if anyone's looking at a scan of the cover, they might want to know is that where at the bottom of the drawing of Sonic on the actual cover art is a sort of, you know, Green Hill Zone checkerboard rectangle, the real one is is just blue. Uh, But it has... 
this little strip of sticky tape on one side, and we're going to find out what that's all about in the control zone. The control zone. Control zone. This is not yet the Christmas issue. The Christmas issue is a couple of issues away because this was That's still right. November. But this is the first instance of it. They really latched on to the word Yule mm. because it rhymed with cool. That's right. So they could tell boomers <laughs> to have a cool Yule. Cool Yule. Uh, well, they're doing a lot of work to be talking cool today. They say um, this issue, we're, we're making sure each and every one of you has a totally cool Yule with the Sonic Christmas Deco. And then in brackets... Decoration to you, Saddos. When did abbreviating words become cool? Well, <laughs> this actually awakened a bit of a memory in me mm. uh, of being, you know, 10, 11 years old and, and utterly convinced that the difference between, like, cool and uncool came down to nothing more than simple, predictable acts of harmless rebellion. So, <laughs> so saying compo instead of competition. That's um, exactly what I was thinking of. Wearing a baseball cap backwards instead of forwards. None of this achieves anything. It doesn't upset anyone, it's just fun to not be a saddo and it's available to anyone who wants to do it. I was thinking it was less act of rebellion and more the disaffected teenage mind not having to utter any more syllables than necessary. How are you? Uh. <laughs> yes, I imagine that's where it came from, but uh, I definitely remember engaging in coolness at, <laughs> at this young age and it was done by, you know, just... Like I say, just wearing a baseball cap backwards, wearing a pair of sunglasses. It, it was fun rather than being mean to anyone. And then they just started rambling on, so I cut it out of the podcast. <laughs> and the way that you do it is you peel off the little bit, at the, the, the top of the bit of double-sided sticky tape, and you, you take that rectangle at the bottom of the drawing of Sonic, and you fold it around the tip of the tree, and now you've got a bit of cardboard on the top of your tree and isn't that exciting no obviously i don't have to ask you if you ever used yours dave because it's still stuck on the front of your comic there but evidently not <laughs> evidently yeah. abby did you use yours i can't remember i definitely took it off but yeah. we had a very specific ornament at the top of our tree yeah, so, yeah that's the thing there was no ge- i mean i took mine off and i set it up and everything there was no getting that on the top of the tree no um, but i did put it on one of the lower branches well they make a note of this they say yes important (laughs) diplomatic (laughs) note stc cannot be held responsible for any family feuds resulting from arguments over what should be on top of your tree if an old-fashioned much-loved family object must go on top of the tree use your imagination and find another location for the sonic deco wherever you put it it will shine it won't shine, it's just a piece of clip art on a bit it's of cardboard. It's just a piece of cardboard. But still, I'm glad they did it. It's such a, I don't know, it's such a lovely bit of tat. It is so it low is, effort. Tat is the ultimate word for it, isn't it? Because the free gifts that would come with Sonic the Comic were generally not tatty. Not that bad, no. No, they, they were generally of a pretty good quality. But We've this just is... had the belt clip, and you wonder yeah. why they haven't tried to make this out of that. A bit of actual like bespoke merchandise. Mm. Even the print stuff that they would come out with later, like the Badnik spotter cards or the stickers and tattoos mm. and things that they would have. But yeah, this, this was this was, this was was slow effort. It feels a little bit last minute. I feel like if you were really going to do this, what you would do is you'd come up with something that itself wraps around into a cone shape and then has a sonic head on the top. Something like that. Maybe yeah, like many fairies would be. Exactly. I mean, maybe maybe it was just that they realised that they would, if they were going to do a Christmas gift, that they would actually need to release it a few issues before Christmas, so that people would have it for Christmas. Yeah. And so they had to speed it out. Who knows? Yeah. So then they say that the party continues next issue with a, a new look for Echo. Hmm. I didn't remember them hyping that up. I assume what it just means is that a different artist takes yeah. over, but it is framed here as a sort of grand redesign relaunch, isn't it? It is a very drastic change. It is. Ah. Yeah. I for don't the, know if you remember. Better? Um, 
Oh yes. No. <laughs> I mean, sorry. It's, I don't know. If, uh, it's it's attractive, but I do remember it being a little awkward as well. When I was a kid, I definitely remember thinking, "Wow," because it's all beautiful watercolors and and mm. shiny pinks and whites and sheen. But um. There's something about the first two issues of Echo that I like as well. There's a roughness to it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And they say, The party continues next issue with a new look for Echo and some exciting news of a new series starring... Oops, nearly gave it away. Must be this season of goodwill getting to my circuits. And, um, I don't know, that little bit of suspense did feel like a bit of a treat in those days. I think it felt like the comic was moving and growing and always doing something. Well, you genuinely had no way of finding out otherwise back then. You know, if a magazine printed that today, first thing you do would be on the internet would be like, oh, what's coming up in the issue, blah, 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 because it would have been solicited three months in advance, so it would all be in there already. (laughs) But, yeah, 93, no internet, comic, you just just had a wonder. You had nothing else. The Seagulls. A lot of action in the charts this week, I noticed. Um, oh, really? The whole Mega Drive chart is a few things climbing and a few things re-entering and new things. What's new? Ultimate, well, Ultimate Soccer and NHLPA Hockey 1994 are the new ones, mm. so genuinely mm. nothing interesting there. Yawn. Mm. But then the, look at the Master System as well, like Alex Kidd in Shinobi World, Golden Axe, and Trivial Pursuit new in the Hang charts on. there. Alex Kidd in Shinobi World? Oh, gosh, yes. And of course, my, you know, of course, I read that immediately as a crossover. But it won't mean that at all. I don't think so. No, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice though? Yeah, lots of. I mean, they must, they, there must have been some kind of reissues or something because, like, Donald Duck, Terminator, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Tecmo World Cup in uh, re-entering at four, five, six, and seven. And the same on the Game Gear chart: Donald Duck, Super Kickoff, Batman Returns, Axe Battler, and Terminator. Half the chart is re-entries, yeah. so it must have been some kind. Well, maybe not re-releases, but maybe some kind of price reduction or something. Maybe. Hero of the Year, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Brian Williamson, colours by Steve White and letters by Ellie DeVille. When Sonic hears that he's been voted Hero of the Year, he can tell the whole affair is an obvious trap, but attends the awards ceremony anyway so he can make a televised speech promising to free Mobius from Robotnik's control. Sonic escapes the trap that has been laid for him, but Robotnik's forces track him back to the Emerald Hill Zone using a homing device hidden in his awards statuette, only to find Sonic has anticipated this too and bops the badniks with ease. I was pretty surprised to discover this was a Nigel Kitching script, I gotta tell you. It's a fairly ordinary sort of script, isn't it? But there's, there is one Nigel Kitching. Ordinary is being a little generous with this one, <laughs> I think. This is, I mean, and I did actually go and do a bit of research on this one. Um, so yeah. put this up front, which is I discovered that Nigel commented that the invoice date for this <laughs> script um, is the same as the two-parter that would run in issues 18 and 19. So um, he believes this was a, a quickly tossed off job done in an emergency. Right. Oh, and that, well. that is reflected in the strip itself. It's a very easy one because this is the Robin Hood Golden Arrow tournament trap. Basically. Um, Except he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> but he doesn't have to do anything. He's just he's already been given the award. He's just expected to turn up. But I do think that um, there is something quite Nigel Kitching-y in the fact that there on page three, as soon as he announced the winner and he goes up on stage, he immediately takes the microphone and suddenly the tone of the whole thing changes a bit mm. in your head because it was a very standard showbiz trap of the sort that you might find in like Adventures of Sonic or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. But now Sonic takes to the stage and starts holding 
an actual anti-robotnik rally. And he starts saying that his group of freedom fighters might be small, but more will join as the uprising progresses. Is this the first time they've been called freedom fighters? It is. That's the thing, because although this is very much a throwaway story, there are several things in here that are the first time we're being introduced oh. to these ideas. Like, for instance, um, this is the first time that we're told that the Metropolis Zone is the heart of Robotnik's empire. Yes. First page. for, And that becomes key for years, the idea mm. that the Metropolis Zone from Sonic 2 is where Robotnik has his headquarters, and why it's somewhere Sonic couldn't walk around in the streets. Yeah. Well, because he spends the first couple pages of this issue dressed in his Bob Beaky disguise from issue 10 again, that's which, right. again, that marks it as a Nigel story, because that's obviously not yes. something Mark Miller would have been aware of to do. We're introduced to the idea that Sonic has a group of freedom fighters, and the thing you also note as well is that um, the freedom fighters have a secret base yes. that the, the villains are trying to track them back to using their homing device, but Sonic's figured it out, so they just sit in the middle of a field in the Emerald Hill Zone and wait instead, uh, which is crafty. I think at the time I was slightly confused because they kind of go to the Emerald Hill Zone and there's this sense that it is or isn't their base, mm. and it doesn't look like a base, they're just sitting on a hill. But of course, now that I've read a bit more carefully, I realise that Nigel was trying to set up that Kinterbor lab as a secret base. Well, this is the funny thing, because we have the idea, even back from issue 6, that Sonic still has access to Kinterbor's lab and the computer is there and everything. And I imagine that when Nigel wrote this issue, that's what he was thinking of. Yeah. But it's just that the two Mark Miller issues on either side of this one, through, I'm still pretty sure, that through some kind of editorial tinkering, managed to create a slight sense of continuity between them. Right. But we'll come back to that next time. And because of how simple this story is, there isn't very much to talk about. I did notice t towards the end there was a panel that I found myself... There's a, there's a tendency among the younger and more American Sonic fans to pass around a, a certain selection of panels that uh, paint STC Sonic in rather a bad and mean light. And so I've been noticing when there are panels that do the opposite that you could take out mm. of context, essentially, to, to make him look like a bit of a goody-two-shoes. And there's one here where Tails in the background sort of punches a bad nick and goes, Hey, Sonic, I got one. And Sonic, while in that same panel destroying three, he's saying, Hey, good work, little buddy. And he's being very supportive there. So that's nice of him. We'll set that one aside for when the ledger needs be balanced. Yeah. These badniks, yes. these are an STC original, right? These are not real Sonic badniks, no, they're a sort of a, an egg-shaped thing with a what looks a bit like a pirate TV Sega skull painted mm. on the front, and big metal arms and a helicopter head. They really do look like they could have been an actual yep. Sonic badnik. The art on this one is by Brian Williamson with colours by Steve White. Now that's the art team on Kid Chameleon. What? Yeah. It is the Kid Chameleon art team. That's very interesting. And um, it's not great. It, this is the thing. It's rough, it's quick, it's not up to the sort of standards we look for today, no. but I don't mind that. Even then, I don't think this was up to the standard I expected then. It's frequently off-model, even in regards to itself. Like that panel where Sonic sheds the disguise and is... I, 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 if he wasn't blue, you wouldn't know it was Sonic, you know? He, <laughs> he's not the right shape or proportion at all. Yeah, but you've got an artist whose general style is a lot more realistic. Yeah. Now having to draw cartoon characters, which is... It's hard if it's not something you do, and you've probably been given a week to do it mm. if that's the case with well it probably maybe less even because this does seem to have been tossed out very quickly yeah and i don't think we would ever see williamson do a sonic strip again the me from the past doesn't mind this there's something freewheeling about the art in this comic that feels approachable and i think perhaps i am talking with the voice of my inner cartoonist child here but comics were always something i wanted to join in with and this i could join in with i do know um, what you mean yeah because <laughs> 
when I would see a comic where the art wasn't great, there was a narrowing of the potential barrier that you saw for yourself, wasn't there? There was right. like, I'm nearly as good as this rubbish, <laughs> you know, basically. <laughs> I mean, I did then, and I presume always will, you know, just be in such awe. I did then be in awe. I was then, and always <laughs> will be in such awe of Richard Elson's artwork oh, on yeah. Sonic. But it was supernaturally good. Whereas this, this is just someone drawing a comic. And of course, you know, my response to this was to pick up a pencil to mm. artwork like this, you know. Brian Williamson is relaxing here. He was already doing, I looked him up, he was already doing art around the same time that was far more complex. And of course, now I know he did Kid Chameleon. That's an example of that. But before this, he would do realistic Doctor Who comics. Mm. And he was the main artist on the UK Ghostbusters comic. Oh, um, cool. Which seems to have been a similar story to Transformers. It lasted a heck of a long time. Yeah. Certainly past the 100-issue landmark. Was quite a big deal in publishing. Yeah, the, the Ghostbusters comic was a long-running one. I think it was more dedicated mm. to original content than reprints. So that's the art. I mean, I do kind of like the broad expressiveness of some yeah. of the characters. <laughs> I mean, I, the air quotes villain of this strip is the host of the the Hero of the Year Awards show, who is, and again, it's evidence as to how quickly this was tossed off, who doesn't even have a name. He's just a sort of oh, off-color, yeah. wily coyote. He doesn't even <laughs> he doesn't look like a Sonic animal, really, you know. And he doesn't even get defeated, so to speak. You know, Sonic bops mm-hmm. the six badniks he's brought with them, and there's just a little panel in the corner going, ah, I'm out of here, bye, I, I. <laughs> He's a, an absolute nothing. And that's, you know, that's well below the normal standard of a Nigel a one-shot villain. But I do like, as I say, I do like the badniks that he came up with. And I like this machine that the wolf arrives in. It looks like something mm-hmm. that could have been a boss in a Sonic game. Yeah, it really does. It's like a central sort of egomatic style thing. That's right, yeah. With six arms extruding from it. And each of the arms ends in like a smaller egg cup. And there's a one of these little badniks sitting on top of it. And then they all fly up off the things and come down to attack Sonic and, and it's like I can see the ba- the boss fight in my head yeah there's something very STC about them yeah. I quite like them yeah mm. yeah they, they're one of the most successfully game-esque new designs that's come up for anything in STC as far as we've got so far mm. oh one other thing we haven't actually mentioned probably should is just simply that oh, yeah. the trap oh, yeah. that is set for Sonic we do kind of have to conclude that the reason he came to this awards ceremony at all is so that he could make this big speech let the world yeah. know about his freedom fighters he doesn't actually say it, but there's no other reason. But um, when he's on the stage, like this big clear dome rises up around him and a, a hose comes down and plugs into the top of it and it starts flooding the dome with Mega Mac. And we are, we are footnoted back to issue 10 as well. So again, yeah. as eh, as the story is, there's a lot of little Nigel continuity happening in it. And also we have another great example of, of Sonic using his speed proactively as a power yes. where he runs around inside the dome full of Mac and, well, he says it himself. Spinning around that way really did the trick. Blew the top right off like shaking up a bottle of cola when he comes bursting out. Is Mega Mac carbonated? I don't know. <laughs> yes, and the host goes, see how Sonic struggles in a desperate attempt to free himself. So the, the plan here was, in fact, to, to show Sonic's death Kill him live, live on, on stage. TV, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I never noticed before the infinity loop on the last page. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, that's weird looking. It's a Sonic loop, but it's in an infinity symbol. Big ask for any artist to produce, especially one who's having to kind of rush through the way Brian is this time. Yeah, because it's not good <laughs> it doesn't quite work no, no. but again the, the general sense of relaxed drawing here means that it 
it's not alone, so I don't feel like it really massively needs to. I don't know quite what the difference is here. I don't know why I'm not reading this as dodgy. Um, I mean, I am. I'm reading it as dodgy, but in a way I find quite charming, because I feel like... I think because in those days, I used to read STC and then get out my Uniball Micro pen hmm. and, uh, and a sheet of paper and draw myself a quick pencilless page, you know, no plans, no roughs, I would just draw a page of Sonic comic with my pen, and uh, and I wonder if this sort of issue is the sort that started me doing that, because it kind of looks like it was done that way. <laughs> I really love that pig in the last panel. Look at him! He's so excited! Like, oh yeah, it's Sonic. Oh wow, yeah, look at that. <laughs> Refuse! 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 <laughs> well, we've got uh, Thunderhawk. If you've ever dreamed of becoming a helicopter fighter pilot, dream no more. Actually, I had a look at this on, on YouTube. This is a review for a Mega CD game in which you're flying along in a helicopter. And uh, it does actually look quite good, to be fair with you. I was a little bit sceptical. The end of the review says, If you don't normally enjoy flight simulators, I guarantee you will enjoy Thunderhawk. Bold claim. It is a bold claim. Especially the word Thunderhawk, which is in bold. But uh, no, I actually think nah. that... Yeah. that I would have enjoyed this. It just looks really cool, you know, You've the 3D is fast and it is quite nice and you are swerving around and shooting stuff, but not in a way that looks like you need to learn about tilt and yaw and stuff. It just looks playable. Looks arcadey. Then there's a review of Chuck Rock 2, Son of Chuck on the Mega Drive. This is by Core Design, who were most successful on Amiga at first, I think. They came out of Gremlin and they made stuff like Jaguar XJ220 we've already covered, and Bubber and Sticks and Wonder Dog. Chuck Rock was one of those games that you tended to hear the name of thrown out quite a bit back at that point in time of gaming. Not that I ever played it. Exactly. Way more than you played it. You heard yeah. about it. And I'm not quite sure why. Way more than it probably deserved. I get the sense it was one of those. And it was a British game. And it, it kind of had the sense of a... Like you got with certain cartoons like Oscar's Orchestra. Where you could tell that they were being pushed to you without actually... No idea what that is. <laughs> there was that other comic. We talked about it in a previous issue, wasn't yes. there? It was a, it Max was Overdrive. Max, or Max Overdrive. Overload or something. I, I think it had a Chuck Rock strip in it. It absolutely did, yes. yes. I think it there did. might have even been a Chuck Rock strip in Look In magazine, maybe? Really? I shall have to have a look in and find out if that's true. <laughs> They're crediting the reviews again this issue, I know. That's right, so we know that it's David Gibbon who says, Unlike most Sega games, this is not easy. <laughs> okay. Ooh, handbag. <laughs> no, no sign of our man Tony. No, no, well, he must be off doing something. Yeah. I've been learning about Tony Takushi. <laughs> He's, he really is an international man of Sega mystery. He really was always going around doing Sega stuff. And if he was doing now what he was doing then, he would be thought of as the main Sega fan on the internet. And in those <laughs> days, he was the main Sega fan in publishing. You're just looking him up so you can defend him whenever I call him <laughs> up on singling out the contents of an options menu. But uh, don't worry, because this issue, I'm going to have a go at David Gibbon instead. Uh, Ah, go ahead. In Thunderhawk, he says, Upon selecting new game, you will enter a mission briefing which comprises of pilots sitting Oops. in a dark room. No, Dave. No. It is comprised of. And while we're here, there is no a myriad of. Mm. It's it's just myriad, and then the thing there's a myriad of. Oh, damn! <laughs> Chuck Rock 2. As Chuck Jr., you make your way through six different scenes of platform action, each comprising of several oh. zones. Wouldn't have called you up if you hadn't done it mm. twice, Dave. No. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, colloquialism is on his side. I think that's what most people say, but yes, that's it. It's a composed of or comprising. Now, I hope you're all paying attention because there'll be a quiz at the end. <laughs> what about Masters of Combat on the Master System? Oh, I missed that, yes. 
uh, which seems to be a kind of a bomb for people who don't have Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah who don't have Street Fighter and all. And said that's how it opens. All you Master System fans who were disappointed about there not being a Street Fighter Two game, you can now sleep easily. Well, I didn't play any of those. Nope. No, so that I did play Chuck Rock Two: Son of Chuck on the uh, Amiga, though not on not on Sega, because it's not for paying thirty nine ninety nine for. It's for copying off a mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, following on from what you were saying about how he says it's not easy. If you're of the opinion Sonic 2 was hard, forget it. Chuck Rock 2 mm. is one of the best platforming games I've seen in a while and is a worthy investment. Games aren't investments. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps for your time. Well, in nine, uh, I suppose in 93, difficulty was an element of keeping a game alive for as long as it could. I wonder if the person making the investment here is the parent and the return on that investment is a bit of shush. <laughs> you're probably right there, actually. <laughs> You are just reminded when you leaf through the reviews on what a lot of old tat really did come out, aren't you? I know. <laughs> Artifants is 45 quid. 45 quid? For, and who remembers that? The throwaway platform game tie-in to a single season of a spin-off of a German comedian's TV show. <laughs> it's a great looker, though, but it's dull in places. <laughs> well, same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! Echo the Dolphin Part 2, written and lettered by Woodrow Phoenix with art by Chris Webster. Transported back to the time of the dinosaurs, Echo discovers a mysterious machine deep in the prehistoric seas. The strange device attacks him with energy beams and Echo retaliates by collapsing rocks on top of it, causing it to explode. Echo tries to escape the blast by swimming to the surface, where he's greeted by the sight of a pteranodon swooping down towards him. Short and simple. Okay, new zone. <laughs> does, does anyone have anything to say about this? Because that that covers it. Really. Yeah, there's it's big, chunky panels. Two or three. The, the, the most dense page is page five, where there's one five panels on it. Every other page has between two and four panels on it. Big, bold, not particularly impressive landscapes or anything like this. Just looking at it and just thinking of it randomly off the top of my head. Now, maybe that is why they had to change the artist. Because when I think about some of the things the strip would go on to do with the monsters mm -hmm. and the creatures and the animals that he would face, basically having to show anything other than the swirling water, which we complimented last issue, talking about uh -huh. how the brushstrokes really brought that out. Take a look, for instance, at the top of page two, where the background is just a flat horizon of, of cartoon volcano mountains in a straight line. Yeah. The artist does not seem like perhaps he was up to the challenge of what the strip would go on to demand. This is our first real hint, at, uh, besides the fact that the force that took the rest of Echo's pod came from the skies. We see here this mysterious shield-shaped device found in the bottom of the prehistoric ocean with laser beams. I do like the device. I can't remember if there's anything like it in the game. That's what I'm wondering, yeah, is it from the game um, or not? It looks like it could well be. It has that sort of, with all those little gross sort of shapes on it and the mm. appearance of like an almost face or, or two almost faces on it, it speaks to that geegery, gross biomechanical design that you would see on the creatures in Echo. It looks like it's based on some of the machinery in the last couple of levels. Yeah, could well but, be. Um, yeah, but I just wanted to say that as a kid who grew up on lots of animal books, books about wolves and foxes and <laughs> dolphins and things, that's pretty much what this is written like. It's all very, yeah. you know, there's a particular way people write I know, animals. a slightly overly florid it's, way of talking. Yeah, a little bit of fantasy. Unearthly is how I yes. describe it. 
You know, like, they're not quite people. Yeah. Dialogue that wouldn't be massively out of place in a Chris Claremont comic, you know. <laughs> but it makes me think of things like, think of how they talked about each other in Land Before Time. You know, long necks and yeah. sharp teeth and things. It's very much like that, isn't it? Well, I think maybe we made that comparison last issue, didn't we? Because what Echo called the um, sharks rip teeth, didn't he? Yeah. Rip teeth, in, yes. In part one. I think we might have made that Land Before Time comparison. It's Watership Downwriting. That's what it is. Eagle-eared listeners will have noticed just there that Abby just said all the same stuff that we said in the previous episode. Well, that is a total coincidence, because she hadn't heard it, and it had been that long since we recorded it that we couldn't remember it. But when she did hear the episode, she had a good laugh. Take it as evidence that we must all be right. And they use that wonderful phrase that I flagged up last time, like, uh, pre-fish. (laughs) Pre-fish. I can recognise nothing of myself in these curious pre-fish. Or perhaps it's pronounced prefish. (laughs) <laughs> I do <laughs> I like the rough feel of it but as an animal kid I know I'm looking forward to how things change up next yeah. issue I was uh, really excited by how it ended up okay oh I remember being like really pretty much like at the time being blown away by how the style would be different the narration doesn't sound quite right but not in a bad way just in a kind of elvish sort of that's way exactly. and, yeah, and in human yeah. sort of floridness to use your word that's right and I tend to find that difficult to stick with in the long run like books written like that I have some trouble with but uh, oh I love it in a comic yeah I don't know why but I always loved it in a comic in this comic it sort of props up a general feeling of primalness that the whole mm. thing has where this is one sort of thoughtful beast encountering violent beasts and that's yeah, what yeah. they're talking because like. animal stories were always written a bit yeah, flat. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's done to the audience perfectly yes. because this is a comic written for Abby's. Yes, <laughs> yes, written for me's. I do like the dinosaurs on the last page that they really are look like the plastic models of yes, dinosaurs that exactly. you had as a kid. They? <laughs> They're so rough and look at that tail dragging <laughs> theropod. <laughs> They're also the the kind of plastic toys you had just. Before they'd done the new research and yeah, you know, just before re- like Jurassic realized, Park. Oh, we put these bones in the wrong place, didn't we? Oops. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it, those are some toys that I definitely have. Yeah, I mean the whatever the T Rexy one, whatever the dinosaur <laughs> that is, <laughs> that's the one you'd stick your finger into the mouth because yeah. it goes all the way. Yep. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's like a sense memory, isn't it? You, <laughs> you feel had, that on your finger when you say that. <laughs> yeah. I had a very small. Well, you would have called it a Brontosaurus back then. Yeah. Very tiny one, yeah. like little. Baby size one, and I definitely remember sticking that in his mouth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a heck of a cliffhanger. Is it? What's the cliffhanger? He can't go up or down. <laughs> yes, Echo winds up being caught between a pterodactyl, or is it a pteranodon? Who knows? It's not drawn very well, coming down from above and the machine exploding beneath him. Next. The One Who Waits. Which, again, is another one of those creepy, unearthly, florid phrases that fits right in with the whole thing and gets my little kid brain going. So, no, it's it's showing its roughness, this issue, and um, I don't know if I ever truly noticed it before, but it maybe opens my eyes up to why the look of it changed as much as it did. But I feel like the strength and the things that I enjoyed about it, the vaguely unsettling sense of unearthliness, the big, bold, are the still quite languid pacing by using such a small number of panels on each page. Um, Those are all still in play, and I really enjoy that and still look forward to seeing more of it. Sonic's Triple Whammy! 
Three new games, three times the fun. Sonic Spinball, Sonic Chaos, and Sonic CD all on their way for Christmas 1993. Yes, and they're really focusing on the fact that these three Sonic games are released all at once. It's unclear whether it was on the same day or just in the same month, because they do muck about trying to come up with a name for the joint release at the start, and they table Sonic X3, they table Sonic 3's Day, uh, a bit grandiose, because of course they're referring there to Sonic Tuesday, which actually was a thing. None of it stuck. I don't remember this having happened at all, do you? No, uh, not in the slightest. But then I never played Chaos back in the day. I mean, it probably didn't help that we're all for three different platforms, and only the richest yes. kids going had all three of these. Pinball for the Mega Drive, Chaos for the Game Gear, and the Master System, and CD for the Mega CD. Oh, so I suppose it's kind of neat that there was therefore a game for literally every Sega system. So that's probably yeah, why they person. did it all on the same day. Yeah, right. so Oh, 99 seems a bit much for Sonic Spinball. Well, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> Price of games creeping up. Sonic Spinball has never managed to feel like a proper, almost game at all. <laughs> Certainly Sonic game. There was something very odd and rough about it that meant that I never got past the first table, and that was because it, it wasn't just hard. I was like, I just didn't enjoy the way it felt. I nearly finished it. Did you really? I, I got to the last, last level, table. too. Well, well, it was, well, well it was done hard. Too, it was a hard game. I think now it's... I don't think it was programmed very well. That's really. it. Sorry, spinball guys. Yeah. It just didn't have the feeling of hitting a pinball with, exactly. a, with a thing that you got mm. out of a pinball fantasy. Yeah. Feels like you're wrestling with him all the time. Yeah. You were, you were setting like off about. animations by pressing yeah. buttons and it didn't feel like a tactile physics mm. engine. But they do tease at the end there, if that's not ah, enough yes. Sonic excitement, there's still Sonic the Hedgehog 3, the official third Ooh. game, shrouded in secrecy, rumoured for an early 94 release. That's right. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, the news is still... I can't believe, even though I know and I remember and I know exactly what it was like, there's something amazing about being back at this time before the even Sonic 3. Yeah, existed. right? I like I remember it. Like I don't really remember a time before Sonic 2. You know, I remember pre-Sonic, you know. I remember oh, yeah. BS. I remember before yeah. Sonic and after Sonic. <laughs> But, you know, by the time I had a Mega Drive, I feel like we always knew about Tails even then. But, yeah, but I remember being in a pre-Sonic 3 world and the run-up to it and the announcement of Knuckles and everything, which we'll see in a oh, new yeah. zone in the future. And then we've got some news about some merchandise that's coming out. So you got Sonic Gets Ahead, which is the announcement of some Sonic bike helmets. I'm looking at it, I can't stop myself from wanting it. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a half an egg that goes on your head and it's got Sonic drawings on it, but I, I kind of want one. That's all you need. And then... The Big Crunch. Yes, Sonic the Hedgehog crisps. Do you remember this? I don't. I do no. remember them. I don't believe I ever had them. I don't remember even seeing them anywhere, but no. I remember the idea of them existing, be it from this or be it from ads on TV or something. I'm sure there must have been some point at which contestants on Games Master got a consolation prize of a box <laughs> of Sonic crisps or something, you know? What are those shapes meant to be? That's though? what I'm trying to figure kind of look out. Like There's it. a photo of three unopened bags of this just sitting next to a Sonic hat just to fill up the space. And then <laughs> some of the crisps have been poured on the table. And yes, you're wondering to yourself, are they supposed to look like Sonic or are they just twisty rubbish? I mean, it says you can eat scenes from the actual Sonic <laughs> video games. So you would think it's a kind of a Transformer snack situation where you get one yeah. Sonic-shaped crisp, and then, let's be honest, probably the rest would just be rings. Would be rings. I'm not seeing any rings. Well, it's absolutely genuinely impossible to discern the shape. They do all appear to be the same shape, whatever it is, and I presume there's, that's supposed to be Sonic. They kind of look like pom bears, really. Just a bit. They're, 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 yeah. they're multi-pronged. Or like the little <laughs> man from Transformer snacks. I mean, they look like bunches of bananas or something. They're, basically, mm. it's, it's like, imagine if a monster munch 
came out wrong. <laughs> That's kind of what they look like. And you have the obligatory joke at the start. Ever thought you'd be eating Sonic? No, we'll think again. Some taste buds will have already discovered hedgehog flavor crisps, but yeah. never in this shape or form. Hedgehog flavor crisps turns out to have been a referenceable thing in 1993. What? Well... Yeah, I remember hedgehog flavor crisps. Again, never had them, but I remember. I thought I remembered it happening relatively recently. I thought the snarky headline ribbing duties were taken on by the likes of Matthew Wright for this topic. But um, (laughs) no, I looked it up. Apparently the the hedgehog flavor crisp was in 1981. So apparently we've just been repeating the same faux surprise my whole life. Hedgehog flavor crisps are almost as old and established as Monster Munch. 15p from major supermarkets and assorted newsagents. Would. Absolutely would. And doubly would. These really nice looking Sonic watches. I would totally have one of those. Yeah. I would totally have one. I might have a look on eBay later. (laughs) They're not digital. They are analog watches with a blue strap with Sega logos on it and just a picture of Sonic behind the hands of the clock. But uh, that middle one I want. That's exactly the middle one. That's the one, isn't it? It's basically a redraw of the British cover of the game with a a bit of a clip arty look to it. But it's even got the, you know, the yellow background with the traced outlines of little animals. I mean, it's literally the piece of artwork that's on the cover of this comic <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> yeah it's that piece of star cut but not with the christmas but not the one that's actually on the cover of the game which is really nicely you know drawn and mm. painted and airbrushed stuff it's the clip arty version of it that yeah. you would get on generic badges and stickers yeah they look great i want one 1995 nationwide the headline there is a clockwork hedgehog clockwork <laughs> orange still being banned in the uk in those oh, days God, yeah. <laughs> who would have got that back then not me one for the grown-ups that <laughs> But then there's a good chance that grown-ups would probably have been looking at this news zone because over on the right-hand side of the page here we have the list of new games that are coming out in <laughs> November and December with little boxes that kids can tick and even a dotted line for them to cut the strip out and give to the parents to say, I want these ones! Yeah, it's a list of lots of games for the Mega Drive, Mega CD, Fast System Game Gear, all of it. One list for November, one list for December. Anything of interest in there? Uh, I feel like we've, we've seen reviews of a lot of these at this point. Yeah, Sherlock Combs, Echo. It's more or less all been covered, which does tell... It actually, it shines quite a nice light on the work that STC has been doing to introduce these games to yeah. us, because yes, I, I recognise almost every title in the list, and it's a it's, it's a not small list. No, no, there's a couple dozen there. No new releases on the Mega CD on, in December, though? No, none at all. It just says no new releases this month. I think they might just have not wasted the space on the, on the <laughs> header, I know. but... I know. <laughs> New Year newcomers, we've got a, a couple of games that are coming out yes. that actually get a little paragraph and a screenshot to themselves. We've got, uh, well, we've got Eternal Champions. Eternal Champions. Knowing that this eventually ends up in STC, but having no memory of it, either as a comic or as a really? franchise. Yep. <laughs> I can't remember Eternal Champions at all. Because I don't remember any of this, I'm going to pretend it's 1993. I'm going to take all of this news on board, and this is Eternal Champions being introduced to me. Nine fully rendered characters with over 35 fighting moves each. Huge number of options, including training and head-to-head battle arenas. Instant replay, slow-mos, and turbo features. Strong storylines with multiple endings. It does make it seem like it might be better than Street Fighter 2 with some of that stuff. But, sure, yeah. But, but uh, we, we knew then, as we know now, get off. Of course it is. It isn't. wasn't terrible, but yeah. You'll be hearing a lot about the Eternal Champions, especially from STC, very soon. And then there's mention of the fact that ToeJam Nail 2 is coming out, and then Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, yes. which gets just a brief paragraph, and most of that paragraph is dedicated to commentary on the fact that it's using the Adventures of Sonic Robotnik design. So they knew me, they knew what I cared about. That's, yeah. a, that's, <laughs> that's the version of Robotnik they're using. And it says at the end here, Don't miss 
Sonic the Poster Mag number one for more full information. Sonic the Poster Mag. Sonic the what's that? The what? I wonder if we'll find out a little more in a few pages time. Yes. <laughs> compo. The next thing is a compo. Yes, a compo. We haven't had one of them in a while. Sonic's Good Book Freebie. 60 great, and they are. Sonic and Sega books to be given away free. Sonic and Robotics Laboratory. Good book, perfectly enjoyable book. Sonic in the Fourth Dimension. One of the best Sonic things ever released. Since we last mentioned these books on the podcast, I have acquired copies of both of these. Yeah, me too. Me too, in fact, although they are my copies. Well, I mean, you just got them out of your box. I had to go and find them and buy them. (laughs) And the official Sega Mega Drive Power Tips book 2, previously mentioned on this podcast. What do you have to do? All you have to do to get them... Nothing. ...is send... Just nothing. Send a postcard or sealed down envelope with your name and address printed neatly on it to the address below. The first 60 names pulled from Robotnik's Egomatic. There we go. That's better than... Tails is old exos. Yeah. <laughs> After the closing date of January the 4th, 94, we'll each receive one of the above mentioned books. No choices, please. Books will be issued on a random basis. It'll be a surprise. That's a lot of words and sentences to repeatedly state. You don't get to pick. You could have stopped after no choices, please. (laughs) And then the second half of the page is just one of those reservation coupons. And and I usually skip over it, but I've realised where I recognise. The the background art for this is a bizarre muddle of Mm. blobs of colour and stuff. Obviously thrown together on somebody's computer that was sitting around. It's very pixely. It's very primary colours. And part of it is a rather off model because he has two separate eyes. Sonic Head. And I've been wondering where I recognise this from Mm -hmm. uh, the whole time we've been doing this. And I've been thinking, well, from this, obviously. But no, I'm thinking of the ice cream you used to be able to get that was in the shape of Sonic's head. That's what it reminds me of. (laughs) The gumball ice. Yeah. (laughs) Golden Axe! Plague of Serpents, Part 2. Written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Ellie DeVille. After using their magics of fire and earth to defeat the snake priests menacing Rockguard, Tyrus and Gilius learn from the dwarf elders that the priests have seized control of the labyrinth beneath Rockguard. High Priest Cobraxis has captured the dwarf queen, Silpantia Dragon Tamer, intending to force her to lead him to the dwarves' horde of enchanted metal. With Tyrus injured, an axe missing in action, it looks like Gilius will have to go to the rescue alone, until a very angry Yuki plant charmer bursts into the room, demanding to go with him. I love the names in this comic. Oh, they're uh, so good. Like, there's nothing particularly exciting about, like... Well, no, Gilius Thunderhead is a pretty great name, to be fair. But um, it's the original ones that Mark Isles has come up with for this. That uh, What's yeah. the name of the dwarf elf? Growless Stormbreaker. <laughs> what, what a name. Stormbreaker. What a, they're, they're all hyphen. It's like, it's not surname, last name. They're all first name, hyphen, last name. Everybody's hyphenated. Yeah. The Hammerinth Maze. Yeah. There's so many good names in this. <laughs> I, I do, like, the name, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just being a perv. But does anybody kind of... Yep. Wrinkle their nose at the name Silpantia, Silpantia. Dragon. Thank yeah. you. Okay, yes. No, not just I me made then. a note here that says, not sure what to make of Silpantia. I'll wait and see if she's got silver pants. I was thinking silk, not silver. Ah, well, <laughs> maybe that does make me that's... slightly pervier than thou. Yes, your, yes yours was slightly pervier. Although, I don't know. I feel like there's something pervy going on anyway. It's just, it says pants. It's inescapable, isn't it? Yes, yeah, with all these Amazons running around. In their silver pants. 
And then you've got this little gang of Richard O'Briens running around shouting, Come back, sis! Yes, <laughs> now, <laughs> Richard O'Briens. I had this wonderful moment where, in my coldy confusion reading this issue, I didn't notice that over at the other side of the room, uh, we get an actual caption saying, at the other side of the chamber, <laughs> there's like a group of multiple bald-headed snake monks, multiple Richard O'Briens in the scene. So I thought that in the bottom left panel, where um, what, what actually happens is that Gilius throws some magic rocks at them and they all get hit and, you know, do, do different poses. But it's all in this kind of grayscale, so I thought that was an extremely campy pantomime depiction of one guy getting pelted with rocks <laughs> for a very long time, oh. which I prefer. And, like, I'm really into Gilius's dad. Turns out he's actually all right. Like, he's, he's been injured, but he's not dying the way it looked like he was last issue. And, like, once they take down the dwarves, Gilius goes, Come on, Dad, it's all over. I've got to get you to the infirmary. And his dad goes, I don't want to see no doctors. I'd rather see a good chef. <laughs> and then uh, on the next page... Uh, we get the priest of Cabraxis holding a comics burning. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, isn't it? It's yeah. a book burning, but the pa- he's putting a couple of pages of comic on the top. I feel like if they'd been able to, they would have made it clear that that's STC's burning, but, <laughs> yeah. but they weren't able to. We've got the Hammerinth maze populated by the dwarves of the Morning Mountains. It's really on fire with the names. <laughs> I know, it? right? That's great. I love that. Uh, then a snake is murdered, but sort of between panels. Because... I really like that, actually. Yeah. That's, um, there's something quite elegant about that. You get yeah. all the impact of the fact that, like, basically, we see a cut to where Cobraxis kidnaps the queen who is defending the crash in the labyrinth. She brandishes her spear, and we get a tight panel of the spearhead jabbing towards the snake, and then we pull out, and the snake's lying dead on the ground with the spear buried in it. It's like it's a, it's a nice little beat. I like it. It's uh, it's not that usual. We haven't seen it actually really yet in these two parts of this one, but it wasn't uncommon in the first Golden Axe where you got the sense that there was stuff happening between the panels. But it doesn't feel that way here. Yes, we whinged about it a bit in the first series, didn't we? But here it's it clearly serves the purpose of essentially not having to... Yeah. We don't have to watch the snake be impaled to know it happened. It's the dramatic camera cut you would get on kids' television. And then the dwarves are talking about their secret horde of enchanted metal, and it seems like that's what the golden axe is made out of. And yeah, you get a picture of it, and their secret metal is, of course, a stash of gold and silver bullion big enough to keep a more or less unlimited number of generations living in palaces. It's <laughs> quite a stash. Well, we don't know if it's actually golden silver. This is gold and silver colour. It has been infused with magic is what makes it special. It's the gold dun axe, not the gold Yeah, axe. not the gold axe. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's mithril then. It's something that's yeah. to our eyes indistinguishable from gold or silver but not necessarily actually it. Also on that page, page four, you've got the uh, the head priest nicking off with the queen and, yeah. and she says, you'll get nothing from me, snake breath. And he goes, oh I think I will. Hee hee. Me and my snakes. Hee hee. Yeah. The way it's written, hee hee, you know, it gives you the impression of tittering, you know, of little hee <laughs> This is written for kids who think that bad guys say, I'll get you. Yeah. And if they get you, it means that you're got, which either means dead or like stuck in one place where you're sad and you can't get out. <laughs> um, so in this case, what he'll get is one less good guy and what the snakes will get is lunch. Maybe. <laughs> What's his plan? Do well, we... what he wants is the location of the Horde of Magic Metal. Yes. Because she is the only one who knows where it is. And these are details that I found it difficult to take in while reading with a cold. <laughs> I know she just gets caught, but I always thought the Queen was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah she's pretty neat. She's got yeah. a nice little design. She's got cool boots on. It's a little funny, really. She's got the spear, and she uses the spear to kill the snake. And she's she's got the fists up. She's ready to go. Yeah. But all, she's a dwarf, so all he does is simply pick her up and walk off with her. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, her legs are sort of kicking, kicking the air. Kicking her legs, just basically lifts her off the ground. I yeah. do feel like that panel has had to compensate for, like he's picked her up with both hands and everything. He's got like one arm sort of up around her neck and one around her waist. And I feel like it doesn't look like he's got a good grip on her. You know what I mean? No. But that's a consequence of the fact because if, if he was gripping her properly anything. in such a way as to hold her that he would be be groping her. So they, yeah. it feels like they kind of had to, to work around that. Yeah. You know, rightly that's so, but enough. still. <laughs> And then, yep, last page, walkity walkity, here comes a woman to crimp Gilius's style. Uh, but I have context that I remember oh. who she is. Yes, so do I, yes. <laughs> I, I put it in the summary originally, but then I realised it's not it's not here. Oh, but, well, I don't know, so it, I'm yes. going to be on tenterhook. She's just an angry female dwarf who bursts right. in, and they clearly know each other. I was listening, gillyfish dunderbrain, she says, <laughs> and he's like, gold's blood, anything but her. So these two have a history, and we'll find out what that is in the future. I'll just confirm for Dave. It's not just Womp Womp, it's a girl. Okay, right. That's nice to know. (laughs) Next issue, The Wizard Priest. Cool, he's going to be doubly magic then, isn't he? No exclamation mark, no full stop, no nothing. It's like, next issue, next issue is The Wizard (laughs) Priest. Nice decorative T, though, on the... Yeah, they they do mm. that a little bit on the on the narrative captions. The first letter of each one is done. Oh, up, so uh, they do. Yes, even the first one, which is an O, which takes yeah, quite yeah. a bit of work to fancy yeah, up. Yeah, just was a little flick on the top of it. Yeah, well done, Ellie. Q zone. Q zone's a short one this week. It's only yep. one page. Gee, wonder why? What's that on the right? Oh, we'll come to that in a minute. Cheats are for what do we got? Tasmania, Batman Returns, Chuck Rock, and some codes for Jurassic Park. Tasmania is trashed as having quote less than average gameplay. Right? What the hell? I love Tasmania. Oh really? Oh, I never played yeah. it. Right. Oh, Tasmania huh. was one of you know you see those things on social media where it's like oh four games that defined whatever. Yeah. And I'll put down Sonic. I'll put down Grim Fandango. I'll put down Tasmania. Really? Yeah, Tasmania ah, was one of, the, one of the first games I ever played after oh. Sonic. Perhaps I ought to try it then. So Dave Gibbon here seems to think that it's below average anyway, and the solution, he seems to think, is cheats. And suddenly, <laughs> you know, I can see all of a sudden where he's been coming from with trash-talking the gameplay of various things, because what he's doing here is he's seeing it from the perspective that the point of a game is to beat it and score another notch on your joypad. And if you <laughs> find that difficult... And it's the game's fault because it's, you know, difficult or something's up with the button feel and so on. Then that can be overcome with a good cheat or level code. I think that's not right and the point of a game is to enjoy your time with it. But I do remember being a kid and thinking that that's just the sort of rot a parent would come out with. I (laughs) I did consider it an achievement to come to a game and like, you know, already armed with the end level code and just never see the majority of the game. I, I remember a time when that was something I, I would have done. Up, down, left, right, A start, final zone. So <laughs> you could say that he's writing to the audience here in a way that I ought to that I ought to compare, for instance, to when they... You remember when they focused on the existence of Ray when they covered the arcade game? Yeah. Or, perfect example from this issue is when they were doing Mean Bean Machine and they went, check out the particular design of Robotnik. I think they just kind of knew who I was and were writing to me. Well, <laughs> you say that, but then, you know, he introduces Batman Returns with... Batman! I've always enjoyed that tune. If I had my way, it'd be released as a single. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah. And I'm not sure who that's for at all. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, that sounds like something Little Dave might have latched onto as well. I, I did enjoy the uh, the Batman tune. Um, <laughs> 
we're discovering it's the Gibbon Bulmer singularity. Exactly. It's the Dave singularity. <laughs> it's the Dave singularity. Well, from one Dave to another, it was released as a single and you missed it. I was that was gonna be my next question. <laughs> because I bet if anybody knew, you would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And uh, it's a, it's just a strange thing to say, you know, like oh, I've always always thought that should be released as a single. Anyway, on with the comic. Also, yeah. I have to point out how he's spelt dunna 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 batman here it's it's dna it's dna capital d lowercase na dash repeat dunna 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 with a capital d every time dna what a weird approach to going dunna 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 batman that is dinner 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 this is it it was almost as famous for being the word dinner in a joke as it was for being a tune at this stage exactly because the joke was along the lines of you know how does batman's mum call him in for dinner and then she maybe this was. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the right hand page, the reason the Q zone is only one page, that mysterious publication mentioned in the news zone, a full page advert Sonic the Poster Mag. Yes. Number one. On sale now at All Good News Agents. Strangely, no mention of it in the control zone previously, where normally they would announce these things. And we're finding out about it through a straightforward advert. Sonic the Poster Mag, the first of various supplemental publications that would come out in and around the peak of Sonic the Comics popularity. Giant Sonic action poster plus secrets of the Sonic TV shows. If you've been wondering, yes. We will talk about it. That will be in a special bonus episode. We will (laughs) talk about all the issues of the poster mag individually as they come out. But those first two will be in a special bonus episode um, Mm. sometime soon. We haven't quite figured out when we're going to drop that one yet. But it's going to happen, so keep an eye out for it. Decap Attack. Decap Attack starring Chuck D. Head, part (laughs) five. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching with letters by Steve Potter. With Chuck believed dead by the bad guys, they instead bring Head to Frankenstein for use in the cloning process that'll create the undead army Max Decap demands. Chuck, now on his last life, soon revives and engages Max in battle, and the fight carries them into the cloning lab just as the first of Stein's strange new creations is born. A slightly different type of thing happening. Nigel gets to do some real action scenes this time. We haven't really yeah. had the action in Decapitac prior to this has essentially consisted of monsters jumping out and flinging themselves at characters. Like that vampire coming out. <laughs> or Max's army coming up over the ramparts of the castles yeah. at first. But there's never been any proper extended fights. And this is like a page and a half of Max and Chuck going at it. And not that Max is keen to fight him, you know. Chuck gets up out of the coffin that the bad guys have presumably put him in thinking he's dead and he walks right into Max and um, you're not quite as dead as we were led to believe but then Rupert, his accountant who we met before, is just yeah, he's psyched up down at the bottom oh, this is it! Rupert's the one who actually eggs Max into having the fight the bit where the hero meets the villain and we have the classic struggle between good and evil I'd really rather not if it's all the same to you. <laughs> and then we've got Chuck here going, come on then, I'll take you both on. And this is a... I reckon there's a line back to Red Dwarf here because yeah. Nigel's come off the Red Dwarf comic and this is Lister with his fear drained. Nigel, <laughs> we've already... Seb was telling us about the polymorph story that Nigel did and it turns out, Abby has informed me, that's the one she had. 
just that one the second part of that i assume it was the second part of the story it was certainly the last part of the story yeah but the artwork was amazing where there's the big was, red dwarf that's got oh, an evil face on it It was so good i can't wait to, i've got to dig that out and see it but he was so good at drawing the cast as well it was nigel's dial oh god i've never even thought for... of that oh, I, I can't wait to see it but here's yeah so here's chuck going you know come on then it's this is fear drain isn't it don't forget the very red dwarfy bit where Chuck reacts to the monster saying it's horrible, but he's looking the wrong way. He's looking in a new mirror. Yes. <laughs> yes, you, you ugly goit. The one line that really always makes me chuckle is like Max is breathing fire on him and everything and Rupert's going from the sidelines. Destroy him! Incinerate him! Quick, he's down! Get him! And Chuck's lying there smoking and just looks over and goes, you really ask you for its bolts. <laughs> <laughs> and all the faces... It's some of my favourite expressions in this one. Yeah, there's a sort of a, a burst of a little bit more colour in this issue mm. than we've seen in mm. the last one or two, I think. Igor seems to be a particularly more vibrant, pinier green <laughs> than he has been in the last couple of issues. Or maybe it's just a nice dramatic contrast with all these purple machines and backgrounds and everything with his green skin and Stein's green hair and everything. Igor's hair in this one looks revolting. It really yeah. looks like he's really <laughs> gelled it up and it's all thin and straggly and horrible. I love the drawings in this. I always love the drawings in this, but I love the drawings in this. Um, page two, top right, you got Chuck there with his gob open, dead on, so it's just like this open triangle of space. It's, it's very brilliant. Muppety. That's why I like that one. Yes! And then uh, I, there's something I really like about his glowery face in the next one. It's such a simple drawing, but everything's a bit higgledy-piggledy in it. It's not quite in the right place, and it just makes it so good. Tremendous cartooning just all over. I don't know that Decapitike would truly ever look as good again as these first six issues did. Do you think so? No, not that I'm knocking the later Decapitex, yeah. but it's just when I go back to this and it's exploding off the page at me. No, it's so good. And then it all builds up to the fact that uh, Stein is <laughs> creating some kind of clone of something in some way using the bit of brain that's left over in head. We don't know what the body's going to be, but then the caption at the the, the end, oh, the caption at the end amazing. of the whole comic. I love this. The last thing in the comic is a box that says, let's face it, this monster's going to turn out to be something really stupid, isn't it? At least then, there's only one week to go of this and then we can go back to running a sensible series. <laughs> Next, something really stupid. <laughs> but look at the... Decap. Look at the professor's face in that last panel. Uh, yeah. He's yeah, clearly, yeah, right. he's he's clearly cackling away like, yeah. <laughs> look what I've made! Yeah, and I just had like... a lot of fun throughout this issue of giving him the big toothy grin and the eyes just pointing off in random directions as they swirl around. Yeah, look at that one just above it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter, so the experiment was a success! <laughs> Oh, it's the best. I love it. This so good. Decap Attack is so not of a piece with the rest of STC. No. And yet it turns STC into something that very comfortably <laughs> says there is no peace. Yeah. Nothing is of a piece. We're just putting stuff in this comic and if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And if you don't, you don't. So in those days, I was enjoying this, enjoying Sonic. I wasn't really enjoying Echo or Golden Axe yeah. in like, those days. This is, this is a comedy strip compared to all the other strips in the thing which were fantasy yeah. action. Sonic could have some comedic leanings, but at this point, Sonic has never genuinely been like laugh out loud funny funny the way Decap no. Attack has been. Because Nigel always treated Sonic seriously. It was an action adventure series under his pen, and Decap Attack was a comedy series. But like you say, with the addition of Decap Attack, it opened up the comic to being something more than Sonic and the adventure fantasy guys. Because then you would have future comedic strips like Mutant League was a hoot, as far as I remember. I think Nigel really? might have written that one. <laughs> Mutant League was a hoot. Of course, you had Pirate STC, which was less yeah. funny, more... Uh, 
and um, <laughs> and uh, even Marco's Magic Football wasn't great, but it had its tongue firmly planted. Did they do a comic cheek. of Marco's yes, Magic? Yes, they did. Fo- sure I did. don't remember any of it. I yeah. really used to skip a lot of the fluff. You clearly <laughs> yes. did. I read every page of this thing over and over. And then we just trailed off. Speed lines. Speed lines. Speed lines. Boy. Dear STC, this is the fifth time I have written in to ask how old Tails is. I also would like to know why he has two tails and what he was like when he was little. I am desperate to know. Suzanne Swale, Falston Hexham, Sonic Water Fun Game winner. Suzanne, please get in touch. This <laughs> I, I, I'm so delighted to imagine your cross little face writing letter <laughs> after letter and going down the post office, stamping over to the post box. <laughs> Megadroid responds that he's a desperate Megadroid who likes to keep her in suspense. All will be revealed in the not-too-distant future. Hint, hint. Gee, I wonder if that could have something to do with that remark he made in the control zone about a new series starring a certain little someone oh. coming up soon. Ooh, right. Yeah, it, it's funny that they talk about Tails' age, though, because I was actually just having this conversation on uh-huh. Twitter as well. It's like, the American media went out of its way to characterize the Sonic characters as having ages. Yes. Like, Sonic is supposed to be a teenager, and so are all of his friends, apparently. Yeah. Yes, that upper-crust French royal guard <laughs> is supposed to be 14 or something. Um, <laughs> and Tails is supposed to be, like, a little kid, a proper single-digit age kid. Yes. And he's characterized as being very young and voiced by an actual child in the cartoons and everything. But Sonic the comic never did that. No. It never tried to map any kind of real age onto the characters. And, I mean, I think that was the right choice because any attempt to tell me that Sonic is an age a particular never age. fitted at all. No, it doesn't work. He's a timeless... It's like trying to tell me Mario has an age. I know, yeah. Yeah, I do sometimes try... Sometimes that question worms its way into my head. What age do I think Mario is? And, and every time I simply have to abandon the, the concept yes, because, because it doesn't work. It's it's their nature as a mascot makes them a sort of a timeless thing yeah. who's very much supposed to appeal to a broad cross-section of ages and people. Mm. Wasn't there an unfortunate incident recently when Nintendo did make overtures towards giving Mario an age and it was like, no, we rejected it as a fan base. Am I making this up? I don't know. I mean, whatever age he is, he's sort of like a Bob Hoskins, Lou Albano sort of (laughs) Yeah, that sort of age. See, he is a people, so at least it's not super weird, but it is still weird. You know, yeah, it's like trying to give Optimus Prime a counterpart human age. You know, I mean, yes, I know that technically Optimus Prime is nine million years old, but but <laughs> I don't want to try and map an equivalent human age on that. Although, well, this is a complete digression, <laughs> but the the earliest casting sheets did actually map ages on him. Said he was like thirty five. Really? Yeah, I'm older than Optimus older Prime was supposed Optimus. to be characterized <laughs> okay, as. So, okay. mm, yeah. I always figured it was. Optimus Prime is dad age. Yeah. Sonic is your big brother. Tails is little brother. Yeah. yeah. And like your big brother, you don't have a sensible hold on what being that age means. <laughs> yeah. It's just bigger than you. It's just a person. It's just a character. And Tails is younger than him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, STC Tails, I couldn't pin it. I certainly oh, wouldn't no, say he's single digits. Just, no, no. But, but I, no, but I mean, I can't. I genu- It's not just that it feels weird to do it to me. It's that I find it mentally genuinely impossible to do. Yeah, because whatever the answer you come up with is not supported by the text. <laughs> what else we got here? Um... <laughs> Sorry, I just looked up and saw the Crossroads banner and just remembered. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm going to sneak. Saw them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crossroads uh, at the top of the next ladder. <laughs> I didn't. Mm, yes. Yes, but this <sighs> is this mm. is with a, a sad letter, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a problem which makes me mad. I always miss your comics. My mum won't let me go across the busy road to the newsagents, and she won't take me either, says Amanda London from Marble Arch London. Amanda London from London? Amanda that's London. That's a bit unfortunate. No, that's why she was called that. It's because she lived she there. She was born there. Um, yeah. <laughs> But she failed to send in her full address, so they can't even get her her water fun game. No. Aww. Yeah, Megadroid's response is, if possible, use the news agent closest to your school. And I kind of know what he means. Certainly when I was about this age, there was a news agent close to my yeah, school that we were able yeah. to go to. Not any younger than that, you know. It was only when I got to secondary school that I had money. Yeah, that, my well, own. yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? Because yeah. that was for the bus. Ewan Cameron from Larkhall, Lanarkshire, um, wonders mm. why there's no Sonic cartoon. Well, he's a bit late to the party. Yeah, so this is one of those examples of a letter specifically placed there to almost advertise something Sonic the Comic yes. is doing at the time, because uh, they've... Earned, although they, they refrain here from saying, why not purchase the poster mag we've just brought out that's all about the cartoon. Yeah, that's so weird. Like, it's completely absent from the editorial text of yeah. this issue. I think we're putting together the sense that this issue was really banged together. Dashed together, um, yeah. At funny times. Like, I don't think it was all made at the same time, this one. The three backup strips are clearly just the next part of the serials that were all properly timetabled and everything. But yeah. yeah, it does feel like there's like holes in things that should be here and a lead strip that was thrown together pretty quickly. You've got a welcome screen not mentioning that the poster mag is coming out. You've got an advert for the poster mag therefore feeling hastily slotted in. And then you've got this letters page that really could has an open goal here yeah, and doesn't mention doesn't it. get it yeah no they it, megadroid just says ewan you psychic hume the sonic cartoon series started a few sundays back 7th of november on channel 4 so there's no excuse not to drag your earthly body out of bed bright and early earthly body it's <laughs> a funny way of putting it, isn't it? Um, Matthew Watson sent in one of those weird letters where you kind of wonder what, what was going on there. I've come up with an idea for food called Sega Snacks, and then the rest of the letter is just a list of... <laughs> of alliterative, you got Johnny's yeah. Jumping Gingerbread, you got R- Ray's Rhubarb, Robotnik's Rubble Gum. Rubble Gum? Yeah, you know, it was, it was, that was an actual thing, wasn't it? Rubble Gum? It, I didn't know that. It was much. like in a, it was like in a long pack, and it was imagine multicolored bits of Rice Krispies is what it looked like, except it was actually bubblegum when you put it in your mm. mouth. There was oh, a little workman on the front. Uh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'll, I'll rescind that complaint, Matthew Watson. Porker's pork. That's a bit grim. <laughs> Porker's pork gave up trying there, didn't he? Yeah. Tails' <laughs> turnovers. Uh, Amy's apples. Wow, Amy did. Amy didn't put no effort in at all. She just bought some apples. Yeah. <laughs> and best of all, Sonic's sizzling sausage. <laughs> I've seen uh, pictures of that on the internet. (laughs) You beat me to it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They never used to print them in the fan art section in STC, though, sadly. Speaking of the fan art, that one, that one with Tails jumping off the plane is great. Actually, a good drawing. Is is that what used to happen if you finished Sonic 2 with Tails? Yeah. 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 Great little drawing of Tails jumping off the biplane as piloted by Sonic. Yep. By uh, Helen Williams of Newport. Yeah, who signed it, not just Helen Williams, but 93 as well. But then Lucy Axford from Kane and Wiltshire has Here gone... comes Lucy. With the very unusual idea here. Go on the weirder end of things, which is, you know, far from the weirdest thing I think we would ever see in the art section of Sonic the Comic. Um, but it's... It's it's on the higher end, isn't it? It's up there, yeah. It's a Coke bottle with Sonic <laughs> head on top of it and arms and legs. Or it's Sonic the Hedgehog, but with a big with a, Coke bottle with for a, a Coke body. With a Coke bottle for a body, yeah. That makes it... That's, it's not 
to scale with his body. It's a big Coke no. bottle with a head on he's top. It's an animate Coke bottle, yeah. And he's holding a fork in one hand, and I presume it's like a little covered dish. In, it's like in, a serving tray. A serving with a tray with a, with a cover yeah. on it. Yeah. But why? What the hell, Lucy Axford? <laughs> but why? And it's, yeah, she's, you know, she's written a big cola coke no, not coca-cola she's kind of made it it's where you don't see the coca bit cola coke cola. yeah i mean she's being very careful to avoid the copyright there for to get it printed in the comic well know? sort of i mean it still says coke uh yeah that's deeply weird oh heck she won a what a fun game so yeah, well, yeah she got printed yeah i mean um, it's such a weird not only is it a weird flight of imagination to come <laughs> up with the idea but then to actually go through the whole process of drawing it and sending it in is yeah i Lucy Axford, get in touch. We have much to talk yeah, about. Yeah, get in touch. Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got a little extra addendum for speed lines because Ooh. we've had a letter <gasps> from a Nigel Kitching. Ah, little Nigel Kitching. Water fun game winner who says, <laughs> just listen to the podcast. Nicely done. Thought you might be interested in what I actually asked the artist to draw in that first panel of issue six. And this is referring to the uh, Kinterbor the, computer. The, Kinterbor, the first appearance of the Kinterbor computer, which, you know, later goes on to be quite a fixture in the comic, but at the time was just a bit of a throwaway. It's just a PC with, with Kinterbor's head and as a hologram over it. Well, this is as originally written. He sent me the text. It says... Large establishing shot of Sonic in his secret underground control room. This is the laboratory which was owned by Professor Kinterbor before his transformation into Robotnik. The artist will probably hate me for this, but I think Sonic should be flanked by an array of video screens, each showing a scene from each of the zones, i.e. Emerald Hill Zone, Chemical Plant, Aquatic Ruin, Casino Night, Hilltop, Mystic Cave, Oil Ocean, and the Metropolis Zone. I don't think we ought to consider Sky Chase and the remainder of zones, since they are Robotnik's devices, essentially. A lot yep, of thought yep. going into putting this. the thought in, wasn't he? Yeah. Each screen should be labelled with the name of the depicted zone. Sonic is preoccupied with a computer console. Since this is Kintervor's lab, let's have the computer be a manifestation of him with some sort of graphic of the good doctor before his fateful accident. Perhaps a floating hologram of his head would be best. Coloured blue perhaps, so there's no mistaking that it's not living. The head should float above the central console Sonic's working at with energy all around it and a trail leading to a likely looking protuberance on the console. I think this computer should be a sort of father figure to Sonic. Somebody for him to rebel against. It's an interesting Ooh. point, isn't it? Uh, do like do we remember him rebelling against him? No, no, no it wasn't like so. that at all in the no. end. You know, I, I have to say, I'm pretty glad they didn't go that route. Um, the idea of it being a huge like computer bank with like surveillance of all the mm. zones. Because certainly then in issue six, before the whole freedom fighter scenario had been set up, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit with Sonic. Sonic's not a tech guy. Sonic is the hands and feet guy, you know, Sonic's the quick-thinking, physical-action guy. Earlier this issue, we've had the first mention of the Freedom Fighters, so yeah. uh, so I sent a letter back uh, asking, sort of, because we were wondering whether that was given to them as an idea, because yes. of course it was, you know, in the cartoon at the time. Presented to them as something from the, the deep cartoon in the, the Archie comic that came off of it. Yeah, and uh, Nigel replied, in a, in, a, in a further letter to Speedlines, he replied, um... I don't remember a lot of details. I think the important turning point was when Richard Burton invited me to London to meet with him. We discussed future plans for Sonic, and the whole Freedom Fighter thing came up. I wasn't keen on it, but I wanted the work. <laughs> and then he said, wasn't there a cartoon with this idea? Anyway, after this, I was able to get Richard to give me a bit more space with Sonic. I'd been told that there should be no continuing stories, but I was able to change his mind on that to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Nigel. Oh, could you imagine the parallel timeline where that didn't happen? I, 
Exactly, yeah. Didn't bear thinking about it. The Freedom Fighters were definitely suggested to me, but it was just a headline. I never saw any of the actual material at all. Didn't know until just now that there were human-shaped robots in the TV show. And he <laughs> refers to the fact that I told him that. Uh-huh. Yeah. When he said, wasn't there a cartoon about like this? I'm like, yeah, there was this. And, and I mentioned the fact that there were the soldier robots, because I wondered if that had anything to do with the soldier robots in SEC. Absolutely not. Total coincidence, just came up with it. Um, He says at the start, the idea for Sonic was that he was going to be like the Roadrunner cartoon. He was a cute character, so he should be funny. I didn't agree, and wrote him as an action hero type. I wanted humour in there too, but I didn't want the strip to be comedy. I don't think it would have had the lasting appeal if we'd gone down that route. He's 100% correct. Yeah, absolutely. And Archie found the same thing. They swerved too far in the opposite direction. They started, well, they were a comedy book at the start. It's funny because you look at the yearbooks, Mm. they are exactly that. They are Roadrunner, Looney Tunes style adventures with Sonic and Robotnik, and they're rubbish. (laughs) Yeah. And made by either by a different team or earlier. Yeah, and the indication seems to be based on everyone's memories of it is that they didn't come out until after Sonic the Comic was in process already. Yeah, that's my memory. Yeah, that's my memory of it. But certainly the content of those books seems to have been created before Sonic the Comic became a thing. So then I asked, what exact reference did they have? Because... You know, we've commented on how close the games it was in and what now reads as an almost uncanny way because, like, why would they have known about Star Posts as grown men in 1993? <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. And, um, and then there are other issues where it doesn't look like they had that kind of reference. And he says, well, we had a, a marketing stroke merchandise pack of stuff, mainly characters, if I recall. We didn't have much in the way of screenshots. In fact, I can't remember any. I seem to recall recording myself playing the game onto VHS and sending that to Nigel. We got sad here. So I'm skipping to where we stopped. Nigel actually wrote us this letter uh, quite a while ago when there were no sad STC concerns going on at the time. I'm skipping. Let's get back to the happy bit. But it's a long time ago. And of course, I wouldn't necessarily remember what the artists were sent. And I said, yeah, sure. But he said he made sure that he played the games all the way through. So he knew it was in there. And he says, I do remember Sega didn't send much as far as what turned up in the game was concerned. So that a lot of the, the times where Nigel was putting in, you know, game stuff, that was just because he played the games and mm-hmm. knew the job and wanted to do it right. I mean, it shows, too. Because yeah. the, the way this stuff is used in the comic is the way it appears in the games. Exactly. And, well, this is it. And he says, it made sense to me to use any visuals that were available if they could be given a story relevance. So, mm. very few mentions of monitors, for example. But yeah. star posts absolutely can be used as a story point. And lastly, I just sent along some sort of compliment about Decap Attack and how much we're enjoying it and how funny the drawings are. And he says, of course, I just tend to notice all the rush drawings and jokes that weren't entirely original. Aww. Well, maybe in a world without deadlines. Aww. <laughs> Don't matter. Thank you very much, Nigel Kitching. <laughs> yeah. For getting in touch. Um, we don't have a water fun game to send you. Anything he thinks was unoriginal. He still introduced a load of kids to those jokes. And yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Definitely formed a lot of my sense of humour when I was young. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I'm looking at drawings in this thing and going like, oh, I took that on board when I drew this yeah. or I drew that without ever noticing and directly copying it. It's like, yeah, this stuff went in. Thank you, Nigel. And uh, if you would like to send us any letters, Dave, tell them where they can reach us. Ah, yes. stctpodcast at gmail.com is open and, as far as I know, may be brimming with letters right now. I haven't logged into it since we started the podcast. Dave. So I'll have to remember to have a look. Professional job. <laughs> Okay, I think that does it for issue 14. <laughs> I think so. We managed to. We man- I was convinced we weren't going to drag any conversation out of any of it oh, because it's yeah. a little bit uh, of a flimsy content wise issue, I think. Yeah, well, one. like we say, it, it seems like parts of it certainly feel like they've been dashed together. 
Um, yes. But there's still a lot going on in here to enjoy. Coming up next issue, Sky High Excitement and Big Prizes. Mm. Uh, this illustration for next issue of Sonic falling out of orbit to go along yeah. with the Sky High Excitement. That's not the cover of next issue. In fact, I don't that think that would ever be uh, the cover it's of anything. It's a nice one. I, don't know where that oh, interesting. I like that one. Yeah. So it's drawn by the uh, Kinterball Computer episode yeah. guy, right? And he's yeah, Farron Rodriguez art. Definitely. Farron Rodriguez. Yeah. yeah, Sonic's just sort of skydiving, essentially, but in space towards the planet. It's cool. <laughs> Echo gets a great new look. Golden Axe. Family Trouble for Gilius. Decap Attack. Oh. The Final <laughs> Horror. Sonic. High-speed action with the cool blue hedgehog. Doesn't promise anything unusual there. <laughs> and plus, you can win a Mega Drive, Mega CD, and an autographed gold edition of Psygnosis's Pugsy. Wow. Goodness me. I think I would have okay. led with that, to be honest. Yeah. Sonic the Comic 15 on sale Saturday, the 11th of December. £1.10. I looked down and I saw £1.10 and I thought, oh yeah, this is £1.10 now. Yeah. That's right. That's reality I'm still now. Worth it at the price. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I, I was just enjoying living in that moment where this only cost ninety-five p for twelve issues. Uh, well, uh, in terms of other links and things, uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please do leave us a review on there because it does help. We have some very nice five-star ones already. Thank you very much, guys. Oh. Um, and uh, or you can get it directly on the web at stctp.wigglehe.com. If you want to tweet about the podcast, please do use the hashtag st. CTP because we do look for it and we do retweet um, vigorously and with abandon. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, the, the merest little bit of praise or mention, I'm always retweeting it. I don't care who minds. Same. And we do that on our social media accounts. If you want to follow the podcast, it is at Sonic Podcast. We have employed noted grump Mr. Oldfash to run our Twitter for us. Do go and give the old fellow a follow. He likes the company. But if you want to follow us individually, I am at Chris McFeely on Twitter and YouTube. On YouTube, you can find my video series, Transformers The Basics, where I break down the history of the Transformers franchise for new and younger fans. I am at Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter and YouTube and Twitch and so on, and I do all sorts of silly things, but I'm going to mention one particular one after we introduce Abby. Yes, I'm at Abby Ryder on Twitter, and together me and Dave make a comic called Imaginary Gumbo. Yes. Which you can find on imaginarygumbo.com. That is one word, Imaginary Gumbo, G U M B O, for the gumbo bit.com, and you will be able to read our lovely all ages comic there. Our intro theme tune is synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band, who you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But this has been Sonic the Comic The Podcast. We see you in another two weeks. Bye! Chris, make a continuous stream of noise. That works. <laughs> That's fine. Chris, cease <laughs> making good. the stream of noise. <laughs>